This show is brought to you by our generous patrons at patreon.com slash falloutlorecast. Robots Radio presents the Fallout Lorecast. Welcome to the Fallout Lorecast, a place for the Fallout community to come together to explore the boundaries of our knowledge about the world of Fallout. Wastelanders and Vault Dwellers. This is your host, Tom, or Robots. I keep changing up the way. Was that good? You guys like the way I changed that up that time? Uh, welcome back to the Fallout Lorecast. This is our patron episode for March of 2020. And I am here with eight of our tier four patrons. We have some more than that, but it looks like some people couldn't make it this this month. And I totally get why. It's a little bit crazy in the world. And this is going to be one of those episodes that people listen to in the future. And they're like, oh, yeah, I remember what it was like back in March of 2020. Uh, so this week we are going into our favorite fallouts and why and we're going to go right through all the main fallouts starting with one all the way through to four and then also 76 because for some of us 76 is our favorite fallout and it might be the only fallout that we've played so that creates a completely different perspective on the series but it's really cool to see things from all sorts of different angles and that's one of the fun things that i really enjoy doing on these episodes every month and with me this month, we're going to go down the list. And I, I forgot to mention to this, this to you guys in the pre-show, but tell you what, we're just going to go down alphabetically and each one of you can, uh, I would like you to just go ahead and introduce yourself and say hi to everybody. That way I don't have to call out each one of you. So let's start with True Dog. Hello. Hello. How you doing? Good, good. And then we're just going to go down the list. So just say, this is so-and-so and hi, everybody. So next one, alphabetically. Fire writer, previously known as Woman on Fire. Changing names. Awesome. This is Magnus Lyle. I don't know. Hello. Hey, Nunamar here. Hope everyone's staying safe and healthy. Rich Rodman, back after being gone for about a month and a half. So it's nice to be back again. Hello, Soybean here. Please wash your hands. <laughs> Hi, Alston. The Sketcher here. Uh, extra sunless thanks to quarantine. Yeah. Last but not least. Victor, once he got his microphone button fixed. If you hear any cough in the background, that's probably me. Yeah. So keep your um, speakers way far away from your head by like six uh, feet. That way you don't catch whatever Victor has. That was a quarantine joke, everybody. All right. That's how this this episode's going to go. Welcome back to the show, everybody. I am so glad you guys are here. Thank you for joining me and welcome back if you're back and if you're new. Thanks for joining. So let's start with Fallout 1. Now, I know from the pre-show that none of you guys listed Fallout 1 as your absolute favorites, but some of you might have something you want to say about that. Does anybody want to chime in and any thoughts about Fallout 1? It, it, we're going back like 20 something years. Nunamur, what what do you think? Well, it may not be my favorite Fallout game, but it was my first Fallout game because I started with the first game. It was the first game I ever pre-ordered. And uh, the one of my favorite things about it is actually my favorite Fallout-related possession, which is the manual for the game. Oh, yeah. The manual. Yeah. Yeah, we're going back to the age of manuals for video games. Yeah, for the younger listeners, they may not even know what that is, but <laughs> I'm actually holding it in my hand right now. And this thing is 
a treasure trove of lore and fallout humor it's it's a it's huge it's a very very big manual um and it's spiral bound so it really feels like a like a almost like a wasteland survival handbook and it's the vault dwellers survival guide it's all everything you read inside of it is in universe it's treated like it's an actual text that exists in the fallout world and even though it does go into explaining game mechanics and normal you know manual type stuff there's all kinds of things in it like um little post-it notes that are put onto the page like blocking information or correcting information that that's handwritten it has all kinds of pictures of the vault boy in various states of injury or sickness and it's um and again the humor in it is so funny because it's not a dry text at all Mm -hmm. it really like it has lots of jokes describing all the game mechanics and it's just awesome and like i said i have a lot of fallout merchandise a lot of fallout possessions and this is by far my most treasured fallout possession yeah and besides that the game itself is very awesome as well and it made me a lifelong fan yeah if you haven't gone through and at least watched like a playthrough of fallout one you should go check it out See, see what, where the origins of a lot of the, even just some of the items, you know, some of the items, the characters, the, the aesthetics, the types of creatures, things like that. There's a lot going on in Fallout 1 that is actually carried through the rest of the series. And for anybody who doesn't know what a video game manual is, it's the, it's the document that was in the box when you bought the game. And it could have been as simple as some artwork and explaining what the buttons do and how to install the game on your PC to something that included, you know, descriptions of enemies and description of, of items and, um, you know, background story for the world. A lot of times RPGs during the nineties would come with some sort of storyline or background or something that really was like a setting before you even jumped into the game that you could read or most, most likely you would just jump into the game and then you would read the manual, like on the toilet. <laughs> that was kind of the main point of a manual, I think. <laughs> So, Victor, did you have something to add to that? Uh, I do. And that's just um, primarily, I've mentioned this before in episodes that I participated on. I haven't had much of a chance to play much of the Fallout games. So most of my love of Fallout comes from deep dives of the wikis. And there's two things that I love Fallout 1 for. One, if we hadn't had Fallout 1, we wouldn't have had the rest of them. Yeah, um, true. The other part is... They left, they left so many possible storylines loose. They never listed all of the vaults. They never said what all of the vaults do. Um, they never listed all of what the Enclave or the New Californian Republic or, you know, all the other different factions. They didn't put them in hard, fast stone too much. They gave us these ideas. These We knew them person to person, but maybe not as much overall as an organization, which allowed later games to work, play on that and really build up that idea of, Instead of, you know, blue team versus red team, you're really connecting with these factions, not because they're a faction, but because, oh, I like this character. Let's find out stuff about what they're doing. Um, and that kind of basis for the rest of the Fallout games uh, is really amazing to me. And so being able to start off on that kind of foot, I just got to give major props to the developers for doing that. Yeah, very true. It was it was very much a, a glimpse into a universe that seemed like it was much bigger than any of what you 
discovered, you know, just in the first game. So, yeah, very, very good way to start a series, especially when you weren't sure if it was going to be successful or not, you know. Uh, but it was and we got a Fallout 2. Does anybody have anything they want to say about Fallout 2? Uh, Fallout 2 was built around, I believe it was the same engine. Um, it was just kind of an expanded version of, of the game with a lot more extra stuff and a timeline that picked up um, like two generations after the original one. Victor? Um, this one's just like one of my favorite side stories that doesn't really have much to do with the actual plot of any particular game. And that's, I always forget his name, but the kid who came up with Jet because of people like huffing cow dung yeah he was he um, was a genius and also a malevolent figure <laughs> in the yeah, series he's yes a, he's super genius and i love those kinds especially when they're a kid i love those kinds of characters because they're so weird and awesome and i know that to a certain degree jet got the backstory to jet got retconned in a later uh in a later game because they made it a pre-war drug but then someone was like, well, it could be that there was a pre it, there was the pre-war drug, but the supplies ran out and he figured out how to make it again. Yeah, to reinvent it. Yeah. 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 So I don't know. I, I just find that kind of also bit of lore building really cool and really they were able to create such a rich world with nothing much more than these tiny little sprites. And then the big faces that you could see that were minimally animated. And that was about it. And you could still get so much out of a character. Yeah, very true. All right, let's move on to Fallout 3, because I think that one was some of your favorites. Who who picked could three? I just, could I just say one thing on Fallout 2? Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, sorry. No, I didn't, I didn't hit the uh, button in time. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, no, you had uh, mentioned it briefly, but um, the idea, one of my favorite things about Fallout 2 is generational storytelling, because the character you play in Fallout 1 is the Vault Dweller. That's the title for them. And then the character you play in Fallout 2 is the chosen one. And he's actually a direct descendant of the Vault Dweller, the, the player character of Fallout 1. And so one of the really fun parts of that is seeing how the world has changed from Fallout 1 to Fallout 2 and seeing that society has sort of started rolling again, especially because of the NCR coming into power. And in Fallout 1, most of the events and things that happen are very isolated to their communities. But in Fallout 2, you get this grander scale where events in one town or a settlement affect the uh, goings on in other settlements and other areas. And you also get to go to San Francisco in Fallout 2, which is amazing. It's very weird. It's very, very strange. And uh, it also has a vibrant Chinatown that has been rebuilt. And it has a, a lot of, a lot of cool lore in, uh, in the location of San Francisco. That sounds a lot like uh, modern day San Francisco. <laughs> strange, big Chinatown, lots of lore. Uh, yeah, it's funny when everyone mutes because I can't hear anybody laugh at my jokes. So I feel like they all bombed. That one probably did. Awesome. Uh, well, thanks, Nunamur and Victor. Um, yeah, Fallout 2 uh, felt expanded and, and different, uh, although it was visually very similar to the original. So apart from Fallout 2 and Fallout 1, we have a big change in things when it comes to Fallout 3, because that's when Bethesda took took the series, moved it into polygonal, polygonal first person land, and things started to change up with that. 
Um, who wants to talk about Fallout 3? Does anybody have anything to share about that? Uh, soybean. Hi. Hey. So um, my first experience with Fallout was technically 4 when um, like 4 was announced. My ex at the time was obsessed with Fallout and she had pre-ordered it and I was like, I want to see what this is all about. And I tried playing New Vegas first and it was just so overwhelming. And she was like, all right, we're going to we're going to take a step back and you're going to play three because three is a lot more linear. It kind of eases into the game, literally, with you starting as a baby. (laughs) Right. Yes. (laughs) And I love that personally, watching your character grow up because you get an idea of like what they've been through and who they are from dealing with like the bullies of the vault and seeing the heavy fist of the vault against like your father. And it gives you a bit of idea when things start to go crazy in the vault, who you're going to side with. And from then on, that helps build your character. Do you help Butch with the, with the rad roaches attacking? I don't know. He, he was bullying me in my home, uh, Amalia or what was her name? Is it Amalia? Yeah, it's Amalia, right? Yeah. Okay. Amaya? Amaya. Amada? Amada. Amada sounds yeah. right. There you go. Amada one, sounds right. We were, we were off by like a letter. Yeah, Amada <laughs> sounds right. So, yeah, he's bullying your girl, Amada, you know. But if you're going to go with, you know, a neutral playthrough, but if you're going with your good playthrough, you're going to help even though he's done you wrong. And <laughs> Amara. <laughs> We we don't know how to say her name. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I just really love how that game is one of the more linear games because it did bring people into the Fallout universe and like then in a simple way get them ready for the more open like ended game that was New Vegas. Right. Yeah, I think you've got a point there. It is it is more condensed and it is also spelled Amada. <laughs> it is yes. Amada. Yeah. We we have gotten the consensus yeah. from Wiki. <laughs> yeah. Now you guys know how it is as a podcaster where you're like just kind of talking through something, and then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, was that the word? Oh crap. And then um especially when it's like a live recording and you're just kind of like chatting with other people and you don't have the time to go look it up. This happens all the time, but like people are like, ah, podcasters are so dumb. They keep forgetting things, but no, it's just a human thing. You're just like, wait, is that the name? Yeah. And, uh, Butch is also one of my favorite companions and him being in three is, is pretty, pretty fun. Cause I just love the aesthetic. That is the tunnel snakes. Tunnel snakes rule. Yes, Tunnel Snakes rule. And any time there is one of those kind of gang aesthetics in the games, like in the the Kings in New Vegas and uh, the Adam Cats in Four, like I love that the fifties fifties gang with the leather and whatever, yeah, slick hair, the pompadour, yeah, <laughs> yeah, very very cool. Anyone else want to chime in about Fallout Three? Any other thoughts on that? Nudimer, what you got? <laughs> Yeah, I have a very personal story. I'll keep it brief, though. But um, so 
being an old school fan of Fallout when Fallout 3 was announced, I actually hadn't even jumped into the next generation of uh, consoles at that point. I was kind of had a little brief break from video games in my life. And I bought an Xbox 360 just to play Fallout 3. And I was so psyched about it, got it, started playing it. And at that time in my life, I was, uh, um, me and my, uh, my ex-wife now, but, um, we were, we had moved in, uh, with my parents to help out because my father was, uh, dying of cancer at that time. And I was a full-time parent. So I was home all day taking care of my young son, as well as, uh, taking care of my my father as he was as he was you know slowly dying from cancer and i was his primary caregiver and fallout 3 was i like to say like it it almost saved my life it was it came at the best possible time for me because it gave me something to do uh, a level of escapism that i really needed and really um really benefited me a lot, you know, kept me sane during that uh, very tough time. And my father actually passed away three weeks after Fallout 3 came out. So I, besides taking care of my family, supporting my family through that tough time, and also taking care of my young son, uh, Fallout 3 was my life outside of the real world. I just lived in that game. I don't even know how many playthroughs of that game, how many hours I've put into that game. And even though my favorite Fallout game is something coming later, Fallout 3, because of the emotional importance that it had in my life, is probably my favorite video game of all time. Um, just because it it really, really helped me out in a way that I can't even fully put in, put into words. And what also helps me is uh, hearing similar stories. A lot of a lot of people have had similar experiences with Fallout 3, that it, it helped them through a grieving process of losing someone. And sometimes even specifically other people have said about losing their father and how having a game where the primary storyline is about finding your father and following his trail and learning more about him and what he was doing. And so having a game that was all about finding your dad right after I lost my father was, um, was really important to me. Yeah. That's really touching. Um, it's, it's interesting how video games can be a, a place. Uh, it's, it, it's like you're describing two things. One, the similarities with the events relating to the events in your own life and, and touching you in like a very specific way, but then also being a place of safety and a place, uh, just like a good book or, or something, a place you can go when you're kind of emotionally, uh, not able to handle things in the real world. And it, it becomes a, um, it's not a safety net. I can't think of the word, but you know, a, a place that you can really go and, and, and trust to be there to kind of help you cope. And it's nice that, that, that video games can provide that. I'm, I'm sorry you had to go through all that, but it sounds like, um, you, you still have some very fond memories, uh, and it's kind of a fun way to remember your dad. So um, thank you for sharing that with everybody. I'm sure, I'm sure there are going to be some people in our audience who can probably relate to that kind of thing. Um, so, okay, let's, let's move on to the, nobody else have anything else. Anybody else have anything else for fallout three? I think we're done. Are we done? True dog. Yeah, I got one more kind of to take it in a, a different direction. Sure. Um, the hoarding in that game was on point and the collectibles were really fun for me. And I had just kind of started getting into video games then. So 
that aspect of it really stood out for me. Being able to find uh, hidden areas, unmarked, unnamed locations with a bobblehead, and just that completionist sensation. I think out of all of them was probably the... I didn't play the first two, so I'm not sure, but that's what really stood out for me uh, when I played three. Yeah, that's cool. My my wife loves trying to collect everything in a game. She's very much a collector. I'm very much an explorer, as I mentioned before. So being able to find the locations that had these fun little hidden storylines and things, um, that's what I enjoyed a lot about it. So it sounds like you you kind of have the combination of both. Um, I, I did want to say one thing, which is one of my favorite things to look at in Fallout lore is what was left behind before the, from before the Great War, what the culture was. And a lot of what we see is the positive stuff, like um, the Silver Shroud, Nuka-Cola, things like that. Fallout 3 gives us something that we don't actually get to see too much of, which is propaganda in the form of the Operation uh, the uh, Expedition Anchorage or whatever that's called. I can't remember right at the moment. But the DLC where you get the winterized Anchorage power armor. Because if you look around in the building um, and like read through the logs, you find out that, yes, this was primarily based off of real events. But the man who it was based off of was in the office and kept changing the storyline to make himself look better the entire time and to make America look better and to make the Chinese look worse. So it was a very blatant piece of propaganda where I think the only other piece of propaganda quite that blatant is Liberty Prime himself. So that's that's just a really interesting thing to me of not just, you know, uh, sugar bombs and Nuka-Cola and the Silver Shroud, which are all cool. But, I mean, propaganda is propaganda. It can be seen as the darker side of how we deal with militarism. And to see that survive in some way was really interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. Um, Trudog, did you have something else you wanted to say? I know you were still unmuted there for a second. Uh, thanks for asking. Okay. All right, cool. Um, well, after three, we've then, we have kind of a sidestep back to Obsidian, who created Fallout New Vegas. And um, in a lot of internet circles, I guess you could say that New Vegas is the favorite in the uh, perspective of storyline, because the story is so dynamic and interesting and plays out in so many different ways. Um, Do any of you guys list Fallout New Vegas as your favorite? Uh, Yeah, I did. Okay, True Dog. Why is Fallout New Vegas? up there for you it was a tough one between three and four i started with three um but immediately got new vegas after that i just there's just something about the aesthetic of it the um, desert environment and kind of the way that they i mean one aspect of it was uh, i feel like the buildings and the society they all kind of match the aesthetic which was a big deal for me and then the enemies and the way that they put uh clothing on the character models seemed to all match very well the story uh, had so many endings to it and gave you so much choice and opportunity. It felt really like you were in charge. And for the time, the the use of the, the weapons, the modability, uh, modif- modifying each one, using different ammo types, using different companions, it just felt like an adult Lego where you could just keep rebuilding it and redoing it differently every single time you played. Um. So, I mean, for that aspect of it, along with the perks being really, really interesting and exciting, uh, made it stand out and kind of take the place as number one for me. 
Yeah, they really did cram a lot in in what was a very, very short development cycle. I mean, they didn't have to create the engine. The engine was basically handed over to them and, and some of the assets that they were going to use in the game. But uh, the story, um, the craftability stuff, the companions, all of you know the setting, the locations on the map, there's so much they had to create in such a very short time. And they didn't even get to it all, from what I understand. There was a lot of stuff that they kind of left on the cutting room floor. Um, but yeah, it really is an, an, kind of a masterpiece looking back on it. At the time, it released very buggy, but uh, you, yeah, you put all that stuff together and you end up with a very um, expansive game for the amount of time that they had to put it out. Yeah, it certainly was, you know, I think of it as a masterpiece, uh, especially if you, you play it with all the downloadable content. That downloadable content was just, it just took a game that was what hundreds of hours of fun and playtime and then added another 40 50 hours of playtime and fun and uh it flushed out the story including a lot of what we had like it, it didn't clash with the other games it just kind of worked into it and i know it was developed by a different studio than bethesda so um having that kind of foresight to uh, allow it to mesh and be interchangeable with the lore and successfully be a part of the whole story uh, yeah, it's a an, an nice, interesting aspect to it as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Nunamurth has crazy thunder in the background. That's crazy, dude. Um, all right, well, let's move on to Fallout 4, because I know this is probably one of the ones that got the most votes, if I recall, looking at the list. Um, who wants to start us off here? Firewriter? Oh, this is my favorite, 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 favorite game ever, 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 ever. Ever, 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 ever. If you could make ever, 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 ever. if you could make yes, <laughs> I don't know what song you're singing, but yes, <laughs> but if you could make a game that is perfect for me, this is it. Just every little thing about it from the first time I tried it um, was perfection. Um, but the one thing I think that makes me keep replaying it over and over and over again is some of the major themes in it and the one that i kind of wanted to look at was the theme that they have of moving past the past Mm. um and you see this embodied both in how you your character has to move through the world um because you're from the past and also in the majority of the companions um, each of these characters, well, for one thing, sorry, let me back up. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. To me, this is, this is, this is such a relatable theme because it's something that I've really struggled with a lot in my own life, just having rotten things happen and making bad choices and trying to, and, you know, second guessing yourself and blaming yourself for terrible things that happened that weren't really your fault. And, and, um, so it's almost like a kind of therapy that lets me work through that over and over again. Because as each of these, as, as you help these companions kind of come to terms with their own past, they, they kind of talk you through it and you kind of hear their perspectives on it. And it's some, it's like talking to a therapist, which sounds ridiculous. I know it sounds ridiculous. But there it is. <laughs> no, it makes sense. Uh, you're, you're dealing with the same emotions. Um, it's kind of like listening to a song about a very specific feeling when you're dealing with a very similar feeling. And that song helps pull that feeling out of you 
helps you kind of express mm. that feeling due to an external stimulus. It's the same kind of thing. Or reading a book about, let's say you go through some sort of personal loss, and then you read this book about the, the same kind of thing, and it helps you really start to process and understand your own loss in a different way. It's the same kind of thing. It's, it's just presented in a video game. So yeah, it totally makes sense. That's also why I write in this world because it's that it's the same idea of it's almost like my my own personal therapy and and working with these characters to to work through something that's bothering me and and kind of almost letting them talk talk it out with me except it's coming from me. <laughs> Sorry, I sound so weird. <laughs> no, <that's fine>. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so cathartic and helpful and i just i just really value the the conversation that this game opened up and the characters it gave me to work with and you know it's like i before each of these um conversations i usually make some notes to myself and sometimes i don't use them all but just writing them out kind of helps me think it through and one of the things that i did this time around was i listed each of the characters kind of what their issue was that they had to get past and it just really continued to emphasize like how special i found these characters and how complex they are and how they're such flawed heroes and yeah like like actual rare. human beings you just don't find that yeah, they are right. <laughs> and and i it's like i almost relate to them as if they're real human beings which again makes me sound whatever but <laughs> but to me they feel very real um because of the way that they're written and i i don't i can't imagine another game ever matching this quite honestly yeah yeah that, that makes a lot of sense and sometimes it's a time in your life kind of thing and sometimes it's mm -hmm. you know the quality of the game and just those two things coming together right at the right time um yeah, that's Everything very, in this very game cool. just meshed perfectly. And even just like the mechanics made it accessible to me because I'm not a I'm not a Twitch first person shooter. Bam, bam, bam. I, but that's made it accessible. And it's like without that, I wouldn't have been able to really dig into this game and get as much out of it as I have. Yes. And, and I think that is really cool because I, I, I think that if you if you really look back at the series, there's a lot of people who were not Twitch gamers who got into mm -hmm video gaming in general based on games like the fallout series because you didn't have to be a twitch shooter you could totally yeah, spend your character other video games stuff. before but i've i've never like taken the full deep dive like i have with this one just none none of them have ever gripped me like this yeah well very cool thanks for sharing all that all right um do you have anything else you wanted to add on there before we move on no that's pretty good okay cool <laughs> cool uh magnus uh, the part about Fallout 4 that I love is the economy because you see traveling through the waste it's been two centuries or so since you were there and since the bombs dropped and to see people going and actively trading uh, it makes me want to like dive into their lore and whatnot. And what I found interesting is if you pursue the path of the Institute and pursue to a point um, going to the terminal and whatnot, you find certain traders and certain people are in coherence with the Institute, Cricket being one of them, one of the weapons traders. 
And other such traders and traveling random encounters, after I found that, I really wanted to dive into the lore of them and see what was best, like how they affect. And one of the more interesting sets that I found was one cricket because she appears to be bashful and not really crazy, but like will shoot you if you annoy her. And very trigger happy, I guess. And then on the other side of that, you have people like Kat, who is a young girl who travels around with her robot, Gus. And if you kill Gus, her only voice line to you is, you have killed my only friend. And then you can't talk to her anymore. So showing so much development through NPCs that you might not even see it's such a vital part of why I love Fallout 4 because it shows that Bethesda and the people who work there and the people who write the stories truly do care about the player searching for these answers and the player diving into the lore and actually caring that these are real people in the waste and while they may be real lines of code in life, but they have their own stories, they have their own personal ambitions. One of them... One of the traveling traders is, I believe she sells chems. I believe her name is Stash. And she carries two bodyguards with her. One bodyguard is a young woman and one is a young man. The young man is addicted to jet and uses Stash as a supplier. So he's internally debted to her. He works off as payment and all that. And it's the woman who walks with him. Um, I believe they say that they're family, whether that's by blood or just by general relation that they've been through so much together, she will not leave his side. She tries to help him get off chems and has tried in the past and succeeded. But while he's still indebted to her, she eventually gets back on chems and whatnot, but she sticks by his side no matter what. And to show stuff like that really makes me believe that if you were to pursue down the route of a trader yourself for roleplay reasons or other such things, you won't just be making up the lore yourself. You'll come across actual traders who have real stories and people who you kind of sit there and think, oh, they look like a trigger-happy, crazy woman wearing an orange hair thing. But really, when you look into it, she's a contract businesswoman or a young girl who's just scared or a person who just wants money. Yeah. And one of my favorite examples of it is Trashcan Carla, one of the first traders you meet. I wouldn't exactly know her as a trader, but if you rob her, which is one of the first options you can get, every interaction from then on, she'll call you the wannabe robber. And to show that that actually affects how your interactions with her later on will be shows that because I've actually thought about that stuff to me. Yeah, it's there's a lot there. I mean, it's interesting because I wouldn't have even assumed that there was that much around specifically traders and the people that they are traveling with. But it seems like you've done the digging to find out that there is actually more there. And, you know, that's that's just some of the complexity you find in these games that make them so endearing and interesting. And one of the reasons why you can just dive back in for hundreds of hours is because you can you can dig in and find that stuff. That's really cool. I'll have to look into some of that stuff, too, because uh, 
like I said, uh, most of my focus has been on a, a lot of the more um, major themes and main, main characters. But, you know, uh, every little character has potential to have more going on in the background than than we would have originally thought. So that's very, very cool. Anything else, Magnus? Nope, that's it. Hello there, old chap. Good to see another of General Atomic's finest still eager to serve. All right, friends. Thanks for tuning into the Fallout Lorecast this week. Uh, middle of the episode stuff, because it's our patron episode, I need to take a minute and thank our new patrons this month. And I think I've got everybody on the list. I, I'm not sure if somebody might have signed up after we recorded the last episode. So I've, if I miss anyone, then please let me know. I will absolutely call you out on the next episode. Uh, but right now we've got a uh, new tier one patron, Yu Yu. New tier two patron, Paul K. Tier one patron, Frankie. Tier four patron, Jason M. Tier two patron, Quip, or Thwip, I'm sorry, Thwip with TH. Uh, tier four patron, Isaac R. Tier one patron, Thomas K. Tier four patron, Jason M. And the new tier three patron, Shimino. So thank you to all of the new patrons this month. That's a ton of new people. Thank you for your support. And as I mentioned later in the episode, I totally get that there is a lot going on in the world today. And if you need to take a break from being a patron for a few months because you have other expenses or things, please go ahead and do that. I'm I'm not going to feel bad about it. You take care of yourself. I really do appreciate your support in the show. But if you can't do that for a little while, take care of the things you need to do. I'll see you when you come back. And you can always just keep listening during, you know, regular or through regular podcatchers and that kind of thing. So thank you to all of our patrons. And now I get to go through our our ratings and reviews, our reviews on Apple Podcasts. So as usual, if you left a five-star rating and a review this last month, then you get it read out on the show at the end of the month. So let's get through these real quacks. Real quack. Oh my God. I just said real quack. (sighs) That's like saying meow when you never mind. Anyway, so let's go through this. So we have the lore cast by Kerberos ACK. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. Five stars. I've listened to every episode and Tom is the freaking best. I enjoy the content so much. Well, thank you very much, Kerberos. Then we have Big J123 who writes enjoyable and exciting from Australia. If you're curious about the lore of the fallout world, this is for you. Robots does an excellent job of telling the endless stories of this extremely interesting world. Dwelling deep into the lore, I'm always satisfied with each episode. I love the updates about Derek at the end of each episode. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. And yeah, I need to bring Derek back for Wastelanders for sure. Then we have... Billy Joe M, I'm sorry, Billy Joe Miller uh, from the United States who writes freaking fantastic with a bunch of exclamation marks. I found the podcast in early February and I've listened to all of them since I have a job where I drive around all day. Robots is so phenomenal at researching and conveying the lore of the world. I've loved since three came out. I can't wait to listen to all the other shows and catch up on them as well. Awesome. Thank you, Billy. Then we have Seminarium Lord from the US who writes an incredible podcast by Robots Radio. This was the first podcast I've listened to and so far I have loved it. I was so sad uh, when I got to the 111 episode and said it was going to end soon. And I think this is the, I, I mentioned this in, uh, on the show recently. This is the podcast where I, I want to correct specifically. I was 
I was specifically saying that we were getting to the end of the list of vaults, but the show is not going anywhere. I will definitely still continue the show. So don't worry, seminarian Lord. I will seminary yum Lord. I will be, I will be here. I'm not going anywhere. Uh, he continues a, or I'm assuming he, <clears throat> they continue a great host, a great show and a great sense of humor. Keep up the good work in whatever podcast you choose to do, Tom. Well, thank you very much. Then we have one more smooth 80 from the United States writes the goodest fallout podcast. <laughs> Tom robots has done a phenomenal job delivering the lore of the fallout universe in an in-depth yet accessible way. His smooth radio voice and funny sense of humor make it a true delight to listen to. He takes the time out to involve his listeners, both both behind the scenes in Discord, Twitter, etc., as well as having his high-level patrons on monthly to discuss lore, missions, dollivers, I think they mean followers, <laughs> and other aspects of the game, uh, of the games. Truly a great listen if you are even remotely interested in everything Fallout. Great job, Tom. Well, thank you very much, Smooth80. And as always, if you leave a ratings or review, I will call it out on the next episode and you can leave ratings on other things other than Apple podcasts or iTunes. If you use other platforms, all of that is very helpful in conveying the value of the show to potential new listeners and helps me an absolute metric buttload. I really, really appreciate anything you guys to do to help support the show. And that is a big, big part of it. So, all right, let's wrap that stuff up. It's time to get back to the rest of this episode. If you have any questions about Nuka World, I'd be delighted to answer them. Cool. Anybody else pick Fallout 4 for their specific one? Rich? Yeah, um, I did. Not mainly for the storyline aspect. Like, I, okay, so I started playing Fallout with Fallout 3, and I got hooked there just because I've never played a game like that where you can choose the dialogue you say and what you say affects how it the way that the game around you plays and everything like that and then from there played new vegas and then with fallout that got me playing the skyrim so i ended up playing skyrim for a while but with fallout 4 what the reason why it's my favorite is not more the storyline aspect it's more the creativity aspect that they give you in this one where you have a wide range of creative options not in that goes from both on the PC and on the consoles themselves, because I've seen a lot of reviews and stuff of different mods that you can do on the PCs that you can't do on the consoles. And what people have come up with is really freaking cool. And that's what drove me to it, because it's like the weapon customization to armor customization to the power armor customization, not then you can build your own settlements establish a network of trading and having just business going and everything like that, which was drew me more into Fallout. And I went through about four different playthroughs of how do I want to set everything up? And I still have one main playthrough that I keep going back to and adding to because I keep having different ideas and I've spent the most time with it. I think I have like 200 hours logged into it so far. Wow. I just with the game already finished and just establishing my network and everything. And yeah, that was Fallout 4 was definitely the most fun game I've ever played and all of the games I've ever played throughout 
God knows, starting off on the PS1 days. <laughs> right. Man, so you, you brought up creativity and um, nobody else so far has brought up anything about the, the building and the creativity around building. And that might be something somebody brings up for Fallout 76. Did, did you build a whole lot, Rich? Um, I never really played Fallout 76. Well, in, in, four, really... in 4, did you, did you build oh, four, yeah. settlements and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I have had a settlement and thing just about ever. My biggest settlement was the island that you can take back over from the Murlurks and the Raiders yeah. that are on it. Yeah, that's and a good location to build on. Massive. You just have this massive island at your disposal and a whole bunch of land that you can literally do anything. I have at least a small city already established on it. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Anything else to add, Rich? Um, no, that's mainly it. Cool. Yeah, it is. It is very cool to see all the creativity that comes from the uh, the community around Fallout in general, but Fallout Four also. All right. Anybody else have four listed? Who hasn't had a chance I, yet? Victor is. is I do. Is four your favorite? Four is my all time favorite. I haven't, it's the only one that I've actually done a complete playthrough of. Um, well, quote unquote complete. I turned on God mode because I'm bad at video games. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> but it's, it's my favorite for two, 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 two very distinct reasons. One, while I adore New Vegas' DLC because it's all interconnected, like you have to play through all of them, or uh, you have to play through the main three, Honest Hearts, Dead Money, Old World Blues, to be able to get the, uh, the Lonesome Road. I still prefer the DLC for four. Specifically, um, Far Harbor. I want to say Far Harbor's four and Point Lookout's three. I always get those yes. two mixed up. Okay. Yes. Far Harbor and Nuka World. Um, Far Harbor kind of delves more into my secondary reason of why I like uh, Fallout, but I adore Nuka World just simply because one of my other interests is theme park history, and Nuka World is legally distinct Disney World. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) And I love it all the way down to, I mean, I guess spoilers, but if you finish the Cappy Quest, there's that old urban legend about, you know, Walt Disney's frozen head under the foundations of Disney World or whatever, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. you have to go down and there's the, <laughs> the preserved head of the CEO of Nuka-Cola. That's so good. And that, and that call out to that specific little bit of um, urban legend is, is so cool to me. And again, even adding in another way to play of going in with the Raider factions is really interesting as well. But the main reason I... I love Fallout in general, but especially Fallout 4 is, yes, the human characters are human, but all of my favorite characters are non-human. Um, with the exception of Arcade, all of my favorite uh, characters and companions in Fallout are non-humans, generally ghouls. Um, but I also love Kiri, who is a... I forgot what the Mr. Handy female equivalent name is. Uh, nurse? Uh, this is... Uh... Yeah, there's there's a name for the female one. The character's name is Kiri, though. She's Miss like Nanny. edited with. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, Um, and there's this underlying theme that I maybe this is me reading way too too into it, but there's this underlying theme of with the institute, synths, and 
are sense human, inhuman, do they have control, things like that. And one of the reasons I identify so much and I love so much these non-human characters is because in Fallout they are a minority. Mm-hmm. And I'm as queer as a $3 bill. And I see a lot of myself in their stories of struggling to struggling to survive, struggling to find a place for themselves, just wanting to be left alone and allowed to live. Um, especially in the stories of like Hancock and Nick Valentine, um, especially Nick, because he fought long and hard to be able to make a place for himself in Diamond City, despite being a synth. Right. And this overarching story of yes, you're going to the Institute because you have to find your son, but then you're, you get to know these people. And if you're at all sympathetic to the synths, you end up really kind of digging into what they're about and what's going on with them. And that brings up a whole co- bunch of questions about morality and everything. But I just, I keep going back over and over to this. We, it may be the end of the world, but people, some people will treat the difference still like second, second class citizens. Right. And it brings that layer of realism and I'm probably not wording this as well as I would really like to, but this, the, the whole theme and idea of having these non-human companions that you can grow close to and attached to, um, like I said, especially for me, Hancock and Nick Valentine are is so important to me and it's not like uh, bethesda shade, shied away from queer characters before uh veronica and arcade in new vegas i know for a fact hancock's pansexual as far as i can tell as long as you start flirting with him he's happy um <laughs> yeah so it's, it's not like they, they shy away from it but they also kind of I don't know if they even meant to but this whole overarching story besides finding your son but when you get out into the wasteland, the big concern is synths. Are they evil? Are they able to be controlled? Can white synths be brought, be, you know, re-controlled? And all of these things happening all over, it just, I don't know. It struck a chord with me uh, really, really deep. Yeah, um, that makes a lot of sense. Um, there was a, I forget who's, who, somebody answered something about the importance of fiction and fantasy worlds. I don't remember who the author was. I think it was an author or a professor or somebody. And somebody was challenging the question of, you know, like what, why even, what is the value of fictional storytelling to society and or fantasy storytelling to society? Because it all seems like on the surface, it seems, you know, fantastical. What does this have to do with reality? It's about these worlds that aren't reality. So how does that connect to reality? What's the what's the point? What's the value? And the answer was that it creates this mirror that we can then see ourselves in and understand um, objectively more about our own reality through seeing reflections in that fantasy reality that 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 fantasy world can actually represent the things that we're dealing with in a way that allows us to kind of extrapolate and understand it differently or to relate to in a way that we couldn't relate to before because we're too close to our own reality. But when you take, you know, for example, I'm, I'm a hundred percent straight white American male. I, I, you know, by all means won the genetic lottery based on what our society expects and values and all of those things. Like I totally understand that I am by no means a minority in pretty much any way possible ever. But 
that creates a dilemma in my ability to understand people who are going through difficulties that I didn't have to go through. But by able by being able to play through this type of thing in a game and see a different type of person go through similar feelings and be able to relate to them in a way that's distinctly different from our own world, that then turns around and it helps me to understand people in our own world going through similar plights, feeling separated, feeling like they don't have a place in society, feeling like they're struggling to be taken seriously, all of these kinds of issues that may not have been things that I specifically dealt with in the same way. So there there really is value there. That's really cool that you bring that up. And, and from your perspective, it's to have those things be things that you connect with in the game and can relate to in a way uh, is, is really cool. Yeah, and there's this kind of goes a little bit into video games in general, just as a quick thing. But there's the, that argument of, oh, forced diversity. And it's like, well, there's diversity in reality. You yeah, just ignore a, it. a lot of people was, just ignore it. Or what they do is they they end up living in a very comfortable bubble. It's, a, it's the same way that um, uh, Facebook starts to only show you stuff that you already agree with. So you feel like the whole world represents you. And then the, like the one out of 10 times that something shows up on your feed, that's something you don't, you don't agree with. You feel like it's the minority. And then we do the same things in our own lives. We end up, you know, hanging out with our friends who are very similar with us. We end up working in most of us, if we have the opportunity for a business that includes people who are like ourselves. Um, we, we look at the media that we watch and and ingest. You know, we 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 separate ourselves and we create these bubbles. We only go to the places of the internet that people like us go to, and and the kinds of websites that we look at, and the kind of content that we put into our eyes and our ears. And it's not that the world it's not that the world is not diverse. It's that we often separate ourselves from the diversity. So, yeah, totally. And for the person who is being represented by that that diversity. Having having it done in a mainstream way, um, I'm actually going to use a slightly different thing, but Miles Morales as playing Spider-Man in the Spider-Verse. To anybody who is not white, it is so important to be able to see that there are people out there who aren't you, who enjoy this character, even though you might feel brought down because of who you are and it's the same with you know like gender and sexuality and all that seeing yourself in media that other people consume can help you feel a little bit less like an outcast right and yeah it's it's in gender studies um uh, for specifically women being able to see other women be successful in the things that they value creates more young women who often uh, start to head down the path of trying to achieve those goals you know, a, a young girl who's interested in science by seeing other female scientists makes them more likely to take that as a legitimate path for their future. Um, it's the same exact kind of thing when you can see reflections of yourself. Also, what I think that the value of this is, is as well is and you bring up uh, into the Spider-Verse. My son is nine years old. He's a white male. Uh, by all means, I think he's probably heterosexual. You know, he's only nine years old, so I don't fully know yet, but. That's that's my guess. Um, but he sees something like into the Spider-Verse and they have this diversity of Spider-Men, right? And Spider-People. And his favorite is Miles. And it's because Miles is a kid. And the regular Spider-Man is a grown-up guy. He, he's more like his dad, you know? Um, and just seeing being able to see a kid Spider-Man in him, he doesn't care that he's a different culture, that his skin's a different color or whatever. He he's he's connecting with it because he's a kid. So that makes it feel more 
more connecting to him, which is really cool. Yeah. And just being able to see that kind of stuff. And I will say, actually, in, in Fallout, yes, Bethesda has been Bethesda and uh, uh, Obsidian have been really good to us about letting us have queer characters. But the thing is, is if you have a queer character, they also don't make it 100 percent wine and roses there are characters who will respond negatively if you have a confirmed bachelor or chasha la femme and i don't know having that representation with the reality but then there's also characters who support that in a game just it adds this balance to it that that makes it really important and that bethesda tackles it not only with like minorities in the sense of queer characters or whatever but minorities in the sense of the totally unhuman and they're able to explore those ideas even more is really impressive to me and really important and so yeah. overall when i was trying to decide which one's my favorite game i love new vegas but i kept going back to fallout 4 because there's so many non-humans i'd love out of four um, so I, I do apologize for taking this down uh, <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> a weird like social justice uh, diversity thing, but, but that's something that's really important to me, and it's something that I really do deeply appreciate about how Bethesda has done its writing for four. Sure, totally, totally, yeah. I mean, and, and what's what's also awesome about these games is that you can connect to it on that level. And I can I can appreciate those kinds of things on a similar level, but I'm not you, but I can appreciate those things. But then I can also appreciate that when I shoot the super mutant, his head blows off and the graphics look freaking cool with his bloody head flying across the screen. You know, like there's that part's awesome, too. You know, like it's this is what happens. And I think that this is a wonderful recipe when you take a diversity of things and a diversity of uh, the reasons why we all come to video games and you put them all in a game and you do a generally above par job with all of those different things is you create something that that can be enjoyed by lots of different people in lots of different ways. And it creates a lot for us to talk about, which I think is really, really cool. And if you both like the same thing and you're trying to explain it to someone you can be like, you can, you have a way of communicating, you have a similar language to describe what's going on because you both enjoy the same universe and so it really kind of makes connecting with people who you don't know their experience but you can you've seen a similar experience and if they've played the game they can talk to you about how yes this is the same but this is different and community which is a huge part of fallout um is is the community and so between fostering that community and injecting that community into the games Bethesda with bugs and business choices may fall flat on their faces occasionally, but when it comes to heart and story, they're usually right on the nose for what they're writing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, very cool, Victor. Um, let's give somebody else a chance. Anyone else want to chime in about four or any of the stuff that we've, we've brought up about four? Nunimer? Yeah, just real quick is just to represent Boston here, being the uh, <laughs> one member here who's a native long Bostonian, having my favorite video game series be set in my hometown was just amazing. Just seeing things that I see every single day, but seeing them in this alternate reality, this alternate future, 
it was just amazing. I mean, I could, um, I actually could find my house in the game. It was underwater, but it was there (laughs) (laughs) approximately, at least as far as the location is concerned and seeing literally my, my, not just my, the city I live in, but my neighborhood represented in the game was just, was so cool. And I think that, um, setting wise, it, it, the Commonwealth was just such a great place to go to and showed, uh, a very different, um, environment than we've seen in other games and a lot of, uh, diversity of different locations and different, uh, people and different things like that was just uh, really cool. And it's so nice to see, um, my hometown represented in, in fallout. Yeah, that's very cool. I, I wish I could have that experience. Um, Every time someone says Boston, more than a feeling starts playing in my brain. More than a feeling. Uh, anyway, uh, anybody else want to chime in about floor? Any other thoughts on this one? Looks like looks like we're done talking about four. So we're going to move on to probably the most controversial fallout in memory ever, 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 ever. Uh, fallout 76 and... Fallout 76 had a rough start and, uh, well, Wastelanders got delayed in a week, which it makes sense. I mean, it takes businesses a while to adjust to some of these kinds of issues with uh, trying to have people isolated and potentially sick and not necessarily able to work. So the fact that it's coming out only a week later is is kind of a blessing in a way, if you think about it. Um, who's got Fallout 76 as their absolute favorite Fallout? We've got, let's go to, we've got Nunamur and Sunless. Let's go to Sunless because Sunless hasn't had a chance to chime in too much yet. Okay. Uh, Well, for me, 76 is my favorite uh, for a couple of reasons. The first is that when I was growing up, the games that I played were more exploration based. Uh, A lot of like the Myst games. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. And even my first online game was actually Myst Online. Uh, so I kind of developed in games that weren't super violent or shooty. It was all about exploring, finding stuff, finding story, uh, you know, in books and journals and whatever. Uh, so when 76 came out with no NPCs, that was like right up my alley. <laughs> all the story is told to you through holotapes and terminal entries, um, you know, and the map is huge. There's tons of exploration, which, you know, there's, there's fighting, but you can avoid a lot of it. And uh, so I spend most of my time just running around the map. Yeah, it's uh, four times the size of Fallout 4. And you can tell when yeah. you're running around in it. Yeah. Um, and the other reason is just the story itself. Uh, kind of the, the duality you see of the terminal entries from before the war. Uh, you see, you know, the effects of automation on Appalachia uh, and kind of you see how America was almost kind of tearing itself apart. You could see, you know, the, the higher class people were just completely running over the lower class, the, the miners and the workers. Yeah, completely and different then, than it is today. <laughs> so, he says sarcastically. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Absolutely not based in an on reality. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's totally fictional. Uh, <laughs> uh, but then you, and then you get to after the war when you see all the different factions, you know, and the overseer, uh, I guess, 
spoilers, it's been out a year-ish more. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> one of her recordings is, is she says that all of these groups together had everything they needed to rebuild society, to defeat the, the scorched. But instead of everyone deciding, hey, let's not do what we did before, you know, and tear ourselves apart, they, they broke into their little groups and eventually everyone died. Yeah. You know, and I think, yeah. I think that's a very much commentary on just humans in general, how we have this habit of just making the same mistakes over and over and over. Exactly. And I think it, aside from being really poignant for today, you know, internet culture and everything like that, it just seeing war never changes because humans haven't. And then it's up to us as the players, you know, say, are we going to learn from what came before? Are we going to work together or are we going to break apart and end up the same way? Yeah. Yeah. And what's, what's also cool about 76 is that if you didn't get into it in the first year because of the changes in Wastelanders, you will not have that experience ever again. So if you're interested in, in what uh, Sunless is talking about here, you've got like, what, two weeks to jump jump in there and just see what the world was like devoid of other people before they return. And I think that's really kind of cool to have an experience that you in some ways can't ever go back to that the world just keeps changing and growing. And, and I'm interested to see how that plays out over the next few years. Anything else, Sunless? Uh, no, I think that was it for me. Cool, cool. Nunamur, did you have something to add? Is this is this on your, your favorite list? Is this your favorite favorite? <laughs> this is my favorite favorite. Um, like I was saying before, Fallout 3 is my favorite video game of all time, but somehow Fallout 76 is my favorite Fallout game. It's my favorite Fallout experience. And the reason for that is because of the way I play other Fallout games where I role play a lot more in it, where I kind of decide who the person is I'm creating in the game, what their personality is, what their goals are. And also with the other games, you're playing a character. You can self-insert, you can you know, create your own personality for that character, but it's always a specific person who has a history. So it's, you know, the vault dweller or the chosen one or the sole survivor, whatever the case may be for each of the games. Fallout 76 is completely different because you are not the hero. You're just a person. You're just one of many. You're not unique. You're not special. It's more like real life where you're just you're just your own person in that world and a lot of people really enjoy role playing in 76 and that's awesome and you know really fun but for me it's the first game where i'm playing it 100% as myself it is me and i so mean you're role I playing yourself Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I may, I spent a long time in the character creator trying to make it look as much like myself as I, I could, which I don't, I never do that. I always make unique characters for games with character creators. And in this game, everything I do in the world is I think through what would I do? How would I handle this situation? Even down to 
game mechanical things like how I set up my special stats, what skills I use. I use kind of based on what my skills might be if I was in that actual situation, what I would try to do. Even down to the point of mutations, which is an awesome part of the game, but I've been playing since the beta and only recently have I started to get into mutations because I thought about myself and I was thinking I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't mess <laughs> with my genetic code. I'd be too scared. It would freak me out. I just wouldn't want to mess with my DNA. And what happened was much like many things work in life, you might have a gateway uh, experience to something new and it opens you up. And what happened for me was I accidentally got the uh, marsupial mutation. And it's probably once the best I, one to accidentally get. <laughs> it is. And it's amazing. And once I got that, I thought like... I, in in real life, I can't jump well. I just can't jump high. And so I thought, well, if I could change that about myself, wouldn't I do that? Wouldn't I upgrade myself? And now I'm walking around with four permanent mutations. So it, it, was, it was a sort of gateway experience. And now I'm all about mutations. So like, even in an experience like that, I find myself reflecting my own experiences, my my opening up to new experiences and changing as a person, even within the game. And, um, it was, it was kind of funny because I, unlike a lot of other fallout games, I run a lower charisma and a lower in intelligence just because they're not as useful as some of the other special stats. Oh, I thought you were going to say you were just, you know, role-playing yourself. Well, that, yeah, exactly. Well, that's, well, like, I'm not calling myself that intelligent, but my son, my younger son, thankfully has a lot of respect for his father. Oh, and nice. when he looked at my special stats, he's like, why is your intelligence so low? He actually got upset with me. He's oh. like, I thought it's supposed to be you. If it's you, it should be, I have a higher intelligence. What do you, what do you, you put like, it oh, at? Thank you. You're like, well, I said it's a to three. <laughs> what, yeah. what do you, what do you put it at? Well, the way I, the way I rationalized that was I said, it's like, it's like I wear glasses for distance. And if I'm reading something up close, I take my glasses off. So I said, it's just like that, where if I'm focused, as long as I have three in intelligence, which I think I have five, um, but I can equip any perk card that I need to, I just need to switch it out. So it's like in real life, if you're very focused on one experience, your skills might be boosted on that one thing that you're you're focused on mm -hmm. and then when you switch to something else it's like putting on a different hat so right you, you even, basically you're limiting yourself to one focus at a time exactly rather than exactly. being somebody who's like a i don't know a renaissance man who's able to you know juggle multiple things all at the same time and, and move from one thing to the next Right, right. And that's kind of what I do in in my personal life. When I'm focused on one thing, I become obsessed with that one thing. And it's all I think about. And I learn as much as I can. And then after a while, I'll move on to something else. So I kind of reflect that as well. So like I said, like even down to the game mechanics, I think about everything as far as what I would do in real life. If I was, if I had Somehow my parents were brought into the vault. Somehow I was born <laughs> just my, as myself into the fallout world. And I treat it as a way to experience the, the universe of fallout from my 
personal perspective. And like I said, even though with other follow games, I might self-insert certain aspects of my personality or aspects of decisions I might make in the game, it's still the character. It's still that specific character in that story. Whereas this is just a way to sort of experience the world as a whole. And I'm very curious as to what some of the decisions coming up in Wastelanders is going to force me to make because it's it's been very um, individualistic as far as, you know, the decisions you're making, you're not really changing the lives of other people. You're just, you know, completing these goals and doing these different things that don't really directly impact um, the world around you, but that's going to change. And yeah. now I'm going to have to start making more traditional fallout choices that may be very morally gray and may be very difficult to make, especially where I've invested so much emotionally into 76 of it being an experience of myself in the fallout world. And I'll play a lot of fallout games where I'll just pop it on and I'll just start wandering around doing random stuff, not even worrying about quests or worrying about um, completing goals. I'll just explore, like you were saying before about enjoying the exploration. And 76 is a game where I'm rewarded for that, where I don't need to necessarily be working on a quest. I could just be wandering around, finding new stuff. And like I said, I've been playing from the beta and I'm still finding new things all the time. And it's so massive and they're going to be obviously adding so much more too. So yeah. it's, um, it's just a, it's a great experience. And it's the only game I've ever played in my life that I play it every single day. I at least hop on, even if it's just for an hour or or less, I play it, it's become a ritual. It's become part of my daily life. I play this game every day. So I get why some people don't like it. I understand how it's controversial, but to me, it is everything I expected it to be, and it's everything I wanted it to be. So I just absolutely love Fallout 76. Yeah, well, there you go. That's a, that's a wonderful, I don't know, synopsis of your experience. Uh, I think it's interesting that you're like, well, I've got to be able to role play myself and be selfish. And now I have to start caring about other people. We'll see how that goes <laughs> because you know, got to make those tough choices. I, I'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to talk to you again once Wastelanders is out and see how that has affected the way that you're engaging with this world. Uh, I think that's, that's going to be really cool to catch up on. All right. Anybody else have any thoughts about Fallout 76? Firewriter? Uh, this is a game that it took me a little while to relate to and engage with, and I had multiple false starts on it. But now it's easily my second favorite in the series. Um, and part of it took, <laughs> it sounds dumb, but getting another console and being able to play with different <laughs> people who were more available and that made it possible for me to get out of this one kind of area of the map that I was trapped in. Um, and once I was able to do that, you know, this whole, whole world opened up and completely changed the way that I engage with it now. And I'm, I, I'm, I've been playing it steadily like 
daily for hours, especially now that I'm home all the time, um, (laughs) (laughs) since, uh, early February. And, um, it's really cool because I've had the chance to play with like Nunamur and, and True Dog and and you know some of the other folks on here, which is which is really cool. And and um, Nunamur and I have had like really great conversations about that too. Um, and I'm so freaking excited for Wastelanders to come out because I can't wait to find out what the characters' backstories are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and see if 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 they can do it again. That's my. Uh, big drive for that right now um but yeah i i just wanted to time but i'm i'm real i'm i'm there and i'm super into it now yeah cool yeah fingers crossed i hope they they come out pretty good true dog did you want to add yeah. something yeah i did i when i first started playing 76 it was almost eight months into it's you know it being out and i definitely was affected by uh the hype and the negativity around what people were saying about 76 and just kind of listening to everyone talk here and sunless talk about it. The exploration really did change my feelings about it, like getting into there. And I guess even uh, Neumer said it from the beta, he's still finding new stuff and it's so expansive. It's so large. And the story, which, you know, gets criticized a lot. It's a mystery and it sucks you into it as you move along. And it is one of those really great games that, you know, at another point you can start playing with a couple friends and just kind of joke around and have a good time. So, um, it definitely took me by surprise and caught me off guard that I ended up, you know, I'm at like a hundred hours on that thing. And I definitely, when I got it, did not think that was the result that was going to come from purchasing the game, but it's, it's one of those good ones. Right. Yeah. I've, I've mentioned it before. I, I enjoy exploring in a game and having a game that big to wander around and try to find all the all the little details was a lot of fun for me. That was one of the the reasons why um, I don't think I had as much of a negative take as a lot of people did when it first came out, because I wasn't expecting to come across NPCs and have a companion and, and do that. I, I, you know, that was a fallout four and a fallout three and a new Vegas thing. And that was cool. And I also enjoyed exploring and, and, you know, the feeling of the world and all that kind of thing. And Fallout 76 seemed like more of that kind of an experience. So I was down with that too. Um, so yeah, it, I think just giving that a chance is, is something that if you enjoy it at all, you'll find that Fallout 76 has it in spades. Victor. Um, I just wanted to say on the story that I really, after now, full disclosure, never played 76 myself, mostly watched Oxhorn's videos, but the story is there and the story is deep and as good as the other games. It's just, you don't have a physical character in front of you telling it. You're listening to the holotapes. You're reading the logs, which is something that I always loved about fallout to begin with. Um, I think it's I think it might just be a case of I didn't expect the story in that way. Um, that's that kind of has people saying, Oh, there wasn't much of a story. Um, at least in my opinion. And then the added benefit of, uh, the call, both callbacks to, uh, pre-war media with the mistress of mysteries, uh, quest line, which is really fun. That is really fun. And, yeah. And the entirety, if you can find all of the holotape for, like, for, I don't remember what the full title is, but from the West Virginia Hills, 
uh, about all the urban legends. It's it gives you both the stories of what was happening right up to the Great War, which is some of my favorite stuff, and then it also gives you all of the stories of the people who have clearly attempted survival and then either left or died. Mm-hmm. And once you start thinking about it as you're not interacting with these characters, you're finding out the whys of where they're gone or dead, the, the story really starts to bloom out from there. Right. Yeah. Very, very true. Anyone else have any thoughts on 76 Magnus? Uh, one of the things I love about 76, like going from very much, I was a multiplayer FPS player. I loved them. Uh, and going into Fallout was my kind of escape from that. And then when 76 came out, I was very skeptical about getting it. I didn't get it till I think maybe six, seven months after it came out. And when I had gotten it, I didn't play much because I was very much in the boat of, I had no one to play with. I found it very daunting to play by myself. And when I eventually got groups to play with, it would be they'd play for a bit, get off, play for a bit. Like, it would never be consistent. When I found um, a reason to get it on PC, and I had people to play with on PC, I played it more to be around them than to play it for myself. And that pushed me away from the game. But now that I'm getting back into it, I realize the game has so much potential to both be how you want to play it and how it can shape you. Because while PvP isn't much in the game, I personally have come across a few experiences with PvP. And usually just getting on mic and talking to the person usually like will bring into a whole other aspect. You meet so many people who have so many different views on life and so many different ways of adapting to stuff. And I found especially in events that just randomly pop up, you find so many unique people from the reasons why they chose their characters and how they decided to build their characters into the reason that why they decided to pick up the game or what they've experienced through the game with who they decide to align themselves with. Even though Wastelanders is bringing in factions, I've met factions in the game of players, just groups of players who decide to band together and say, right, we are this group. We are going to role play as this group. And that to me shows really great progress within the community because while Bethesda had set out with the intention for PvP to be an option, very rarely is it used. And that kind of shows how thriving the community is and how much the community loves to be what it's there for, which is each other. Yeah. Ken from um, the Fallout Hub, the Chad Fallout 76 podcast show, um, that's very much his favorite thing. He talks about uh, getting together with people and and all the different communities and people who have become the people you come across in the game, the factions you come across in the game. And I hope that Bethesda continues to enable that in ways that um, can make it even more interesting for players to really role play who they want to be in this world, especially with their friends. I think that you're you're onto something there for sure. Nunamur, do you have something to add? Yeah, just um, with what's going on in the world right now with uh, the virus and 
everything. We really appreciate people that are out there fighting it, you know, whether it be people in the medical field or people like uh, Aperture, who's not with us right now, but out there making deliveries and doing all, um, all the things that need to be done in the world. A group that we should have a lot of appreciation for our first responders. And I've had the opportunity in the in the past to work as a first responder, and it's um, you know very difficult, very hard responsibility to to have. So I just wanted to give a shout out to one of the most uh, underappreciated factions that um, Bethesda has created, which is the the responders, uh, which was a group of people that came together after the Great War to just try to save people, to try to make the world safer, to selflessly put themselves out there, to protect people, to save people, to cure people. And uh, when you get into that lore and you get into that story and uh, find holotapes about them getting trained and what their experiences were in the past, some of those holotapes are very emotionally moving. And the voice acting for the holotapes in uh, in 76 is some of the best voice acting I think I've ever heard in any of the Fallout games. It's just really wonderful. But, you know, definitely big appreciation for the faction of the responders and in turn also big appreciation for our real life heroes that are out there protecting people and, and trying to uh, get the world through this um, crisis that we're currently in. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. That That is important. And I, I wish Aperture could have made it today. Um, he's a bit worn out, I think, from uh, having to to be out there helping deliver things. And I know that there are a lot of people who are probably listening to the show who are, you know, uh, key, have key roles and key jobs and are really, I think things are just going to continue to ramp up over the next month. So thank you for all you do and for being there for other people and for taking all of this very seriously because, uh, you know, you could be saving people's lives and helping people have food on their tables and toilet papers for their butts. And also uh, thank you to the pizza guy who was working, who helped deliver my pizza the other day. I appreciate you still working as well. Otherwise I wouldn't have had pizza. So I know that's kind of a comedic beat on this, but that's also, it's true. I, you know, thanks for, thanks for being at work so I can get pizza. I appreciate it. Um, all right, guys, let's wrap this up. I think, I think we've kind of gone over everything. Anybody else have any last minute, Things to add in? Any other any other thoughts, Soybean? Yeah, uh, I did want to touch on the how Magnus mentioned that people were forming their own factions. And for me, I definitely resonated with the cult of the Mothman. And like when I first was hearing about the game, what really drew me in was all the talk about the cryptids and I was excited to see Fallout going to like less serious route, you know, wacky land. Yeah, it's it's more like wild wasteland, but main game. Yeah, I don't know who even plays it without wild wasteland on. Come on, you know, at this point, <laughs> right? Um, so you know, like I played since beta, and. I hopped out of Vault 76 and headed straight to uh, Point Pleasant <laughs> and built my camp right there. And I've had my camp around Point Pleasant ever since. It's changed places around the town. Uh, but 
you know, I've finally got my church dedicated to the Mothman built uh, right outside the sign that says welcome to Point Pleasant. Nice. And uh, I'm so excited for Wastelanders and seeing more of the, the cult. And to those that will be hostile, then they are truly not the cult of the Mothman because the Mothman promotes peace. <laughs> the wise Mothman is the true Mothman. <laughs> <laughs> All thanks to the wise Mothman. Yes. Amen. And that, that is my input. <laughs> I would love I would love for you to do a series of like uh, like Mothman worship videos for youtube oh oh i would love to oh man you should do some live like uh you know because we can't meet uh, in person due to the coronavirus the cult of the mothman will be meeting electronically i uh, guess let's commence our <laughs> ceremonies and then go through yes. like an entire hour long like worship service that would be all great all right everyone do the clasping hands emoji in the live stream thank you <laughs> there you go that'd be so good you should just stream that you should have like you should have like a regular weekly Mothman ritual service. That would be great. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining me again this week. This has been super fun, as usual. And we need to start brainstorming ideas for next month. Does anybody have any thoughts? What you guys might want to cover? Victor? I actually have an idea simply because actually of what Soy said. So next month is the month of April. Mm -hmm. um, it's home of three well, technically four main holidays. I always forget about Easter because I don't celebrate it. Easter, Tax Day, although for most of the United States, Tax Day has been pushed out. And April Fool's. And I was thinking, the Wild Wasteland is a thing, and that feels kind of jokey. What if we did something like about the, you know, our favorite Wild Wasteland... Uh, favorite wacky thing? Favorite wacky thing, thing yeah. uh, in honor of a very late April Fools. Yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah, favorite favorite uh, wacky Fallout stuff. Yeah, if there's other ideas, I'd be cool with it. But that was just up, off the top of my head. Yeah, Fallout silliness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, totally. Okay. Well, you guys are already in in chat, like coming up with all sorts of fun ideas. Yeah, let's let's uh, be thinking about that. And listeners, if you guys are interested in joining us for the episode next month, then. Go ahead and check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash falloutlorecast. And if you sign up at tier four or higher, then you get to join us at the end of the month. And it is almost always on the last Sunday night of the month uh, at about 9 p.m. Eastern, uh, 6 p.m. Pacific. And if that seems like something that you can do and you would like to help support the show, then feel free to do that and come join us next month to talk about some wacky wasteland stuff. And if any of you guys are listening who are our other tier four patrons and you couldn't make it this month, uh, shoot me a note. If there was something that came up and, and you had some issues, let's, let's talk. I'll, I'll figure out how we can help kind of work things out for you. And, um, also, I also wanted to bring this up as well. If you guys are in any sort of dire financial straits because of the issues with the world right now and you feel bad not supporting the show, please do not feel bad. If you need to take a few months off, do what you need to do. I will survive. Uh, we're we're, we're going to be OK. So, uh, you know, although I very, very much do appreciate you guys contributing to the show and to my ability to financially do this as kind of an almost full time sort of thing. Um at the same time, uh, a month or two without 
the same support that you normally give is totally going to be fine. I, I'm sure things will straighten out at some point and then you'll be able to come back and and enjoy being on the show again or, or supporting the Patreon or whatever. So do what you need to do. Don't feel bad about it. I will be OK. I'm not going to hold any grudges. I'm not going to I'm not going to be like, oh, 10 people are no longer my patrons. I feel like garbage. No, I, I totally get it. No, no harm. So, um, but, and you know, once you're able to come back, I, I appreciate that as too, as well too. So uh, of course I love talking with you guys at the end of the month. So let's wrap this up. Let's go down alphabetically through the list and go back through and, and let people know how to get a hold of you. If you want to chat about some fallout stuff or just kind of, you know, talk with you or, or hang out and get together, play games or whatever. True dog. Hey, okay. Well, I'm always on the discord. You can find me there. And then I have my Instagram, which is uh, Oakenpaw underscore ranch. You can get a hold of me there. Uh, I always also thank Ped, um, Waterfall of the Desert, for giving me the chance to you know come on and talk on the show. And uh, I think we were going to devote this episode to Aperture as well for what he's been doing. So wanted to send a big thank you to him. Um, right. Cool. Yeah. And thanks, Aperture. Firewriter. Hey, I'm usually hanging out on the Discord, and you can come find me on Twitter um, at FireWriter, Fire with a Y. Um, always down to chat about Fallout and fanfics and all that kind of thing. Very cool. And uh, new number. Yeah, um, you can find me on the Discord uh, and on Twitter with the same name, new number. And uh, also want to back up what drew dog was saying definitely big love out there to aperture and what he's doing very uh selfless and hard work that he's doing that's very important and to everyone listening at home hopefully you're staying safe and staying healthy and taking all the precautions that you need to because it'd be much better i don't remember where i first heard this but it'd be much better when all this is over to look back at it and say that we did too much that we overreacted than to look back on it when it's all done and wish that we had done more. So yeah, it's stay either one in or the other. <laughs> exactly. So stay in if you can. Wash your hands. Be careful and take care of take care of yourself and take care of your family and take care of all those you love. Yep. Yeah, it's important. Rich. Um, you, everyone can find me either on Discord or if you know people want. Uh, you can find me on xbox at dark angel 96 vi and just a quick general question sure how i'm, I'm really curious how many people think tom sounds like arnie off of hello from a magic tavern because y'all really do sound a lot alike because <laughs> i was listening to it the other day and i swear to god i thought it was you wait a second <laughs> I, yeah. that's what i'm thinking every so often i get somebody who's like you sound like this and it's almost never the same thing it's like somebody different so i don't know maybe we come secretly I, from the same place somehow uh, i don't know if you gotta listen to your podcast and then hello for the magic tavern back to back and you tell me that y'all do not sound a lot like yeah i'll have to do that hello hello from the magic tavern I've heard of it. I, I've never given it a listen, so I'll need to look. You up gotta it. give it a listen. It's pretty good. Yeah, cool, cool, very cool. And uh, soybean. Hello, uh, you can find me at soybean the wolf pretty much anywhere. Uh, my PSA is uh, stop touching your face. I know you're doing it right now because uh, I do it all the time. And 
shout out to all my fellow factory workers who are also working super overtime right now. And I hope that you're listening to this podcast and it's making your day go faster. Thanks. Yeah, go faster, day. Sunless the Sketcher. Hey, uh, well, I'm on the Discord and I'm also on Twitter at, uh, at Sunless Sketcher. Um, and I don't have a PSA. I think we covered those. <laughs> Sounds good. And Victor? Um, I'm primarily just on the Discord uh, at Victor with a K because I'm special like that. Um, and I don't have a PSA. I just want to publicly thank Firewriter. I've been going through a lot of uh, financial stress due to losing uh, losing my job and then not being able to find another one. And she was sweet enough to make sure that I could join this month. Um, I literally cried when I found out. So I just really wanted to thank her again because uh, you guys are some of the best friends I've had in a long time. Yeah, that was that was super nice of her. She um for people who You're don't so know. Welcome. Yeah. I'm really glad I could do that for you. Yeah, she she chipped in for Victor to be able to join this month. So thank you very much. That was very nice of you. All right. Well, thank you again for joining me. And um oh, and also I just want to put this out there for everyone. Um I've started a new podcast. I know. Imagine that. Tom has a new podcast. Um, but this one is with Stuart from Committee Quest, we're doing a Dungeons and Dragons lore cast. So go check that out. It's up on every everywhere that most people listen to podcasts at this point. Um, it's still being distributed some other locations, but Apple, uh, Spotify, there's even a video up on the Robots Radio YouTube. It's not actual video, but you know, you can listen to it and watch the little waveform move if you want to go check that out. So go check that out as well. And until next week, you guys stay safe, uh, stay separated. Don't touch your faces. And I will see you uh, next week with another regular episode of the fallout Lorecast. And until next month, uh, I'll, I'll see you guys later. I'm just kind of drawing this out at this point. All right. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening to the fallout Lorecast. All sounds and music are owned by Bethesda Softworks, and no copyright infringement is intended. If you have something you'd like to contribute to the show, please contact us at falloutlorecast at gmail.com or follow us and post some messages to us on Twitter at falloutlorecast. And if you'd like to support the show, tell a friend, or check out the rewards you can get for becoming a patron at patreon.com slash falloutlorecast. I really appreciate you listening, and I'd love to hear from you soon.